All right, we are, we're going to finish up Romans chapter 2 and move into Romans chapter 3 today. So let's read the end of Romans chapter 2. We'll read the last two verses. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So, he's talking about this. So imagine this, you know, as, as Jews, we, we, and being a Jew, I mean, we pride ourselves on, on our Jewishness and, 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 uh, um, but Paul comes and he, he throws this thing in there. And remember, there's Jewish believers as well in this church in Rome. There's Jewish believers and there's Gentile believers. And he says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. And so he's coming in and he's saying, just because you call yourself a Jew doesn't mean that you are a Jew. He says it in verse 29, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And the praise is not from men, but from God. He's not saying that the Gentiles become Jews. He's saying that there are spiritual Jews and there are spiritual Gentiles. And that's what we are to become. Spiritual Jews or spiritual Gentiles. He's talking about how this whole thing of nominalism, that, oh, you know, I'm a Jew, or as we hear it often today, I'm a Christian. And it can mean almost nothing. It can mean almost nothing. Or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Catholic. It can mean almost nothing if it's not of the heart. There's this whole thing of nominalism that he's coming against. He says it doesn't mean anything. That which is on the outward, just being baptized doesn't make you a spiritual believer. Just being baptized. He says there's something of the heart. God wants a relationship which goes way beyond this whole thing of just saying I'm a Jew or I'm a Baptist or, or I'm a Presbyterian. It's much deeper than that. He says it has to be inward. There has to be something that's inside. So what he's done is in, in chapter 1, what he did is he, he went right after the uneducated Gentile or what, what uh, he refers to in, in verse 14 of chapter 1, barbarians, what we would call pagans. And uh, uh, he says that, that uh, they have denied the witness of nature and, and uh, in that they are condemned. Then he went after the educated Gentile. Uh, uh, and then he said, what you've done is you've, you thought you were okay, you were judging the barbarians, you were judging the pagans, but you have the witness of conscience. And this has now condemned you. And now he's gone right after the Jew. He said you have the, had the witness of the law. And this has condemned you. They're, they're all in trouble, every group. And he's continuing. And so he's still going after the Jew, and that's not going to end until chapter 3, verse 9. And he says, this whole thing, you can't just say that I'm a Jew because I'm circumcised. He says, that's just not going to cut it. And Gentiles don't understand what an important thing that is to a Jew. There, there are rabbinical teachings that say that all Jews have a portion in the kingdom of, in the, in the kingdom of the afterlife. All Jews. There are rabbinical teachings of this. And, and, uh, uh, and it, there, there are teachings that, that rabbinical teachings that, that say that, that if you're circumcised, there's an angel that, that checks this and they let you in if you're a Jew. And, 
uh, uh, then they, they, <laughs> they passed other things saying that if you are a Jewish believer in Jesus, there's an angel that puts the foreskin back on so that you don't get in. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking, it's that explicit. I know that sounds ridiculous, but, I, but I'm telling you what the, what the teachings are. And, and one of the, the saving graces that I had is I was not a very good Jew. So I didn't listen to all these teachings of the rabbis. And so when the gospel was shared with me, I was a much cleaner slate than the vast majority of Jews. The vast majority of Jews, uh, they have been taught against Jesus. And, and that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to witness to a Jew. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then what... Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. For of all, first of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged." But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. May it never be. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, as we are slanderously reported, and some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Okay, what on earth is he talking about? We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. All right, verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew? So he has just clobbered the Jews. He says, you know, just because you're circumcised and, you, and you're descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not good enough, <laughs> doesn't get you in. There's a spiritual aspect to this. And this is the same with being a Christian. There's a spiritual aspect. And he says, so what's the advantage of being a Jew after he's beat him up in, in this, this uh, uh, since verse 17 of chapter 2? He says, so what's the benefit of circumcision? In verse 2, great in every respect. So he says, so what's the advantage of being a Jew? Oh, where do you want me to start? In fact, it would be easier for me to tell you what the advantage, what, what are not the advantages. Because everything else is the advantage. I mean, it's just so huge, the advantage in being a Jew. I mean, the things that he has done for the Jewish people throughout history since Abraham, the things that he has done, it's just been absolutely overwhelming. And he just mentions one thing here, and later on in this book, he's going to talk about, he's going to spend three chapters talking about the advantages of being a Jew. So if if this kind of bothers you... Just wait, you're going to get a ton of it. But he just mentions one thing here. He says, the great in every respect. Do you know what every respect means? It means every respect. Being a Jew, he has given them so much blessing in every respect. And I'll tell you something. If you are a believer in Jesus, in his son, there are advantages that are great in absolutely every respect. He blesses your career, He blesses your family, He blesses your health, He blesses your job. That doesn't mean you don't go through struggles. In fact, sometimes you go through more struggles because He has the intent of perfecting you to the image of His Son. But the advantages of being 
a spiritual Jew or a spiritual Gentile are great in every respect. He says, he's here he's focusing on the Jew, great in every respect. He says, first of all, he says, the number one thing is this. He says, look, I don't have time right now. I'm going to spend three chapters, a large portion of this book later on, talking about the advantages of being a Jew. But for right now, this is all you need to know. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. And very often when you hear people teach this book, they'll start talking about how the Jews, you know, what they went through to protect the scriptures. And, you know, they, they, they made very precise copies. And they, Yes, all of that is true. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, he's saying, what advantage was it? He says the most important advantage is they were tr- <clears throat> entrusted with the oracles of God. The best thing they ever got was they got the words of God. I'm telling you, every word in this Bible is true. Every word. Every word is God-breathed, God-sanctioned. God wrote this with an iron pen. <clears throat> it is forever. This has defined life. It is not God telling us what life is like. It, this book defines life. This is, the definition is here. It's here. This is the book of life. If this book doesn't spell it out, then it's not part of life. This book defines it. And we see the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in this book. It's defined here. Because this book says it, it has to happen. Don't you see? The the world, the universe, follows the words of God. It's not the word of God chasing after the universe like what we do in science. No, this book defines it. Heaven and earth move in order to be in compliance with the words that are here. He says this, it was this that was given. If you have the scriptures, if you have the word of God, it is so powerful, so tremendous. This is like the best thing in the world. If I had to say, be thrown in prison, just give me my Bible. Give me my Bible. How I want the word of God. The word of God is so magnificent, so good. So wonderful. He says, you want to know the number one thing of all the things that I can tell you of the blessings that are there because of uh, that the Jews got? They got the Word of God. They got the Word of God a couple thousand years before anyone else really got it. That's what he's saying. It is. This is the number one thing. If you don't love the Bible, I'm telling you, you you've got to bring yourself to a point of loving it. And how do you... Cause yourself to love the Bible. Let me give you, let, let me give you a way to start. You take Psalm 119 and spend like a month reading Psalm 119. All 150 verses. And what you do is you read it very slowly and you think about every verse. That means you read a verse and you don't go on to the next one. And you just stare at it. And you say, Lord, speak to me through this verse. And you let God begin to minister to you. And then you read the next verse. And then you let God to begin to minister to you. And so if I feel that my relationship with God is ever getting a little bit dry, you know what I do? Go to Psalm 119. And just spend a day in that book and you're like, we're good, Lord. We're good. I mean, it's all better. The Word of God is so utterly rich. It is what lifts you up. If you start your day without the Word of God, you might as well just just like mess up your hair and just go out like a zombie because that's what you are spiritually. When you go outside without the Word of God, and you think, 
Well, I go out all the time without reading the Word of God. Yet, spiritually, you're like, you're a freak. Spiritually. You're all in disorder. If you would wake up and spend time in the Word of God, remember, it's this book that defines what life is. It's this book. Learn to wake up and spend time. This is what it says Jesus did. Jesus talks about this in the book of Isaiah. We learn a lot of things about the Messiah in the Old Testament that are not revealed in the New Testament. And it says, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens me, my, my ear, to listen as a disciple. We know what Jesus was doing. He was awakening morning by morning and listening to His Father. This is what He did. That's revealed in the book of Isaiah. That, that that's what he did. And then we see that in the book of Mark where he got up early in the morning while it was still dark, while everyone else was still sleeping and he went off to a, a, a place to pray. Early in the morning. You say, well, it doesn't say he did it every morning. Well, what do you want? You want every morning? He did it again this morning. And he did it again? No, he told you what he did. This was his pattern. It confirmed what was written in the book of Isaiah. Because in Isaiah it says... He awakens me morning by morning. In Isaiah, it's revealed, this was his morning practice. I urge you to take this book of life. You want to know what is the number one thing? Paul says, first of all, it's this. It's that they were entrusted with the word of God. It says, so so what's the advantage of being a Jew? Like everything. So he says, everything, great in every, every respect. But the number one is this. They've had this word of God for 2,000 years before anybody else. It's this word of God. Learn to treasure it. Learn to make this your meditation. I urge you while you're young. Oh, I urge you. You have these amazing minds when you're young because your, your neurons are firing much more quickly. And how do I know? I see it all the time because I work with young people. I see young people go down the steps. They'll be... They'll be texting and going down steps at this phenomenal rate. I'm like, if I tried that, I'd fall flat on my face. But there was a time when I would go down steps like that. But your neurons start firing more slowly as you get older. You have this tremendous ability when you're young to memorize. Tremendous ability. I, I knew all sorts of things when I was young. I could read a paper and remember details details of these chemical papers of, you know, then they heated it in a sand bath to this temperature and they did this and they stirred it for this number of minutes. I mean, and so sometimes my students will ask me, I'll say, you know, do you do this? this?" They walk out of the office, how did he know all these? Well, because when I was young, I read those papers and it stuck. Get your mind in the Word of God now, now. And you can pull so much information about the Word of God into your mind now. And, uh, um, this word is what they were entrusted with. And then, then in verse 3, now he goes into, so, so you, you see this in verse 1 of, 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 of chapter 3. He has this diatribe method where he takes some imaginary critic or some imaginary person and he puts questions into their mouth and then he answers them. So in verse 1, then what is the advantage of being a Jew? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Remember, Paul's writing a book here. So nobody's really asked that. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what they're thinking. So, so when Shireen and I have discussions, we don't argue, we just discuss. So when we have discussions, I will, I'll say, I know what you're thinking and I'll 
you know, and I'll just answer what she's thinking. I said, you don't even have to speak because I know what you're thinking. I'll just answer your questions. And, and that goes over real well. And so, but, but I know what she's thinking because I've heard it many times before. And uh, even this morning, you know, I, I said something and right away I answered what she was going to say. And, and, uh, and she says, that's right. <laughs> I knew what she was going to say. I mean, we've been together for 40 years. I know what her responses are. And, and uh, so he knows what they're asking. In verse 3 he says, What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God. Will it? So he says, okay, there are Jews that don't believe. In fact, the vast majority of Jews are not believers. There's estimated to be 150,000 Messianic Jews in the world. By Messianic Jews, I mean Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, about 150,000. There's 15 million Jews in the world. So there's 1% of Jews are believing Jews. Did you know that number has remained, that percentage has remained fairly consistent? Because we know, we know from uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 18, God said, so, so when Elijah is, is crying out, you know, I'm the only one left, God says, no, there's 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000. And it's estimated that we're, there were 700,000 Jews in Israel at that time. That, that's the estimate. It's 1%. 1%. It's an interesting number. And, and, uh, um, so, so you say, well, the vast majority of Jews doesn't believe. Does that mean that the promises that were given to them are null and void? That they were retracted? So he's asked, he's putting this question in. He says, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Did you know the same question is asked today by many? And in, in many places of covenant theology, they will say the promises that were given to the Jews have been rescinded and given to the church. Exactly what Paul is saying here, which tells us that we are teaching exactly what Paul was teaching. Because the same questions are coming up. It's the same question. Covenant theology, oh, it's, it's been retracted from the promises that were given have been retracted from Israel and it's been given to the church. The church has many blessings and promises. God doesn't need to retract from Israel. It's not like, you know, it's a zero-sum game. He can't bless both groups. He's got to take it from here. Not my God. God does not rescind His promises and it says it right here. In verse 4, May it never be, rather let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. He says, whoever says that, whoever says that is a liar. Paul was so politically incorrect. He says, they're liars. They're just liars. Just like that. They're liars. If, if anyone says that God has retracted the blessings that are promised to the Jewish people because of their unfaithfulness, he says, they're liars. They're not just wrong. They're liars. That's what Paul said. I didn't say it. I wouldn't say that. You know, I'm woke. You know, I don't say that. You know, he, he, he's, uh, he says that they're liars. He says, he uses in verse 4, the strongest terms of Greek negation that you can use. May it never be, perish the thought, cannot happen. No way. No way in is how we would kind of say it today. There's no way. There's no way. He says, 
God is going to be found faithful. God's faithfulness is going to be there. He says un- their unbelief will not nullify the, the faithfulness of God, will it? No way. The blessings are going to be there. He is going to judge by individuals. The individuals will be judged. But there are going to be blessings and they have not been rescinded. He says, may it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. As it is written, that thou, that, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. This is, when God is judged, He is going to be, He's going to prevail. He is going to be found faithful. In, in, in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is not a capricious giver. And as believers in Christ, we better be really thankful for that. Because if God rescinded his promises to us, because of our unfaithfulness, we'd have like no promises. It'd be over for us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's what he says. And, and he promises these things to the Jewish people, even in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Hebrews 2, 16, For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he, he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. I mean, it's, it's explicit. It's right there. He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. I mean, he hasn't rescinded this stuff. And when he's quoting, he's quoting this passage from Psalm 51 verse 4, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. He's quoting this from Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, when he quotes this, this is the psalm that that, uh, David writes. It's believed that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba, after he was exposed. And, and he starts this psalm, Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only I have sinned and done what's evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So what he did is he took these verses, he took these verses right from this passage and he put them right here in the New Testament. He says, in spite of David's unfaithfulness in Psalm 51, David proclaims, you are righteous. Whatever you do is righteous. You see the context of this. It wasn't like, oh, let me see, let me pull out a verse and stick it in here. No, this was like screaming. Unfaithfulness in David. Unfaithfulness. And he took this portion out of Psalm 51 and he said, you are justified whatever you do. But we know from the life of David that God was so faithful with David in spite of his sin with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband. God remained faithful. Yes, David bore great troubles as a result of that, and the sword never left his family after that. But God was faithful to David, and Jesus was a descendant of David. God did not rescind his promise to David that from your descendants the Messiah would come. He didn't rescind his promise. You you see, when Paul writes this, this screams out to the Jew who knows the Scriptures, Oh! I get it now. I get it. 
The Jews were unfaithful, but, but no way did you rescind your promises from them. Individuals may pay the price, but no way did you rescind from the Jewish people at large. No way. You took right from the passage where a man is crying out, Lord, forgive me, I absolutely blew it. God says, boom, forgiven, forgiven. Just like that, God's faithfulness remains. God is faithful. Then in verse 5, But if our transgressions demonstrate the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. Uh, um, May it never be, for otherwise, how will God judge the world? In other words, so if God remains faithful to the Jewish people, even though they're unfaithful, does that mean that he's not going to judge them? He says, oh no, they'll be judged. He's not going to rescind his promises from the Jewish people at large. He's not going to rescind his promises from the church. Not going to do it. How do we deal with our unfaithfulness? Just like David did in Psalm 51. You come back to the Lord and you say, Oh God, forgive me. God, be gracious to me, a sinner. I have sinned against you. I urge you to get into this pattern of asking God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. Get into this pattern. Don't keep this this feeling between you and God like there's some problem there. Get that back together. God has not left you. He's right there. You've left Him. Learn to come back to God. It's not like, oh, I, I came back and He wasn't there. No, He's there. You come back to God. Fall on your knees before Him. Say, God, forgive me, a sinner. God, forgive me. I just really blew it. I blew it one decision after another in, in my life. I've just blown it. Lord, would you please forgive me? Wash me clean by the blood of Jesus. And see that relationship restored just like that. God is not a capricious giver. He says, may it never be. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? In other words, even through our unfaithfulness, it all the more proves God's faithfulness. When we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. It proves God's faithfulness all the more. Remember what I told you? It's like chess pieces. And so you made this move and it's like, God can just, he knows every move. He knows what, just puts it right back. He remains faithful. And then he says, he says, uh, 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 so then, then he says, um, verse 8, And why not say, as some have slanderously reported, and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come, their condemnation is just. Okay, so some people say, well, if God's going to be good to us anyway, let's just, just sin. He's going to forgive us anyway, you know. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. He's, God's going to forgive me anyway. God's, and Paul says, okay, their condemnation is just. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he's placed his Holy Spirit in us, and we know better. To whom much is given, much is expected, and he, it's harder on us than on the world. You see, people in the world, they do this all the time, and nothing really happens to them. Well, stuff does happen to them, but you try the same thing, and much worse will happen to you. Boy, will it destroy your relationships fast. And you'll start having trouble in your career, you start having trouble at work, and things will start falling apart around you. Because the judgment, 
the judgment that comes is greater on the believer because to whom much is given, much is expected. But there's another interesting point about this. He says, and why not say, as, and then a parenthetical, uh, he says, as we are slanderously reported and some claim that we say. This makes me so happy to see this. You know why? Because people were say, slanderously saying Paul was teaching that. My name has been kicked about as a football on the internet. People saying things that I never said, suggesting things that I never suggested, and other people agreeing with that. I'm like, I never did that. And there's, there's, there's no, you, you can't fight it. I mean, you cannot fight the internet. I mean, you're going to win. And it is so good to see this because they were doing the same thing to Paul. And I read this and say, yes. Okay. Paul, you went through this. I go through this. And he says, he says, as some are slanderously reported and some claim that we say. In other words, so some, somebody slanders and says this and other people say, yeah, yeah, he said that. Yeah, he did that. <laughs> and and uh, um, he said, some, they say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. He says, the people who say, let us do evil, so that good may come, the people who are slanderously saying that I said that, their condemnation is just. We would today say, let them just go to... You know, that's what they would say. That's what we would say. You see what Paul is doing? He says, the people who say that, their condemnation is just. Whoa! So unwoke this guy. He just, he just lets them have it. Their condemnation is just. You say this about me, you have no idea what's going to hit you. Your condemnation is just. And, and it doesn't stop there. I mean, Paul, Paul just says it like it is. This is why I love the Bible. He just says it like it is. So in Titus chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, Titus chapter 1 through 12, 12 through 14, he is writing a letter to Titus and he is quoting a prophet who's from Crete, from the nation of Crete, uh, off of Greece there. He's quoting a prophet, and he says, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. All right? So what he's saying is, is one of their own prophets has said that Cretans are always liars, always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And you know what Paul says in the next sentence? This testimony is true. <laughs> I mean, he has just condemned the whole people group. He says, all people from Crete. I hope there's no, nobody here from Crete today. <laughs> all people from Crete are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. That's what the Bible says. So whenever I meet a person from Crete, I'm like, start holding on to my wallet. I mean, it's, it's just, they're, they're liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. That's how he characterized a whole people group. I mean, Paul says it like it is. He, he does, he does, he did this sort of thing again. So, he was on trial in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, verse 23, uh, chapter 23, Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. And Paul looked intently at the council. This is the council of the Jews. This is this, the Sanhedrin. The 70, 70 people on this council. Paul knew the Sanhedrin. Paul knew them. 
Paul knew what the high priest looked like. He knew from the garb which was the high priest. He says, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. It's an amazing claim. But he means, because I've been washed by the blood. But those people didn't understand it. So in verse 2, the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? I mean, this guy's on trial before the Sanhedrin and he just said this to the judge? Because Ananias violated the law. He was not allowed to be struck by Jewish law. So Paul challenged him on that. And it says, But the bystander said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So it would appear that Paul kind of made a mistake, but he didn't. I don't think he did. He never apologized. He's never said, Oh, oh, I am so sorry. Oh, man. Ooh, I really blew it. No, he didn't do that. He just said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high that he was the high priest. How could he not be aware that he's the high priest? Because Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the high priest. He's not aware that I didn't know he was the high priest. Not my high priest. Jesus is the high priest. This is what he's talking about. I'm not aware he was the high priest, brethren. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He's not a ruler anymore. This is what he's talking about. Paul was so politically incorrect, so politically, so unwoke, he just said it like it is. And this is why the Bible is wonderful. I can just quote the Bible and, and you know, just, I didn't say it. I'm glad I would never say it. So the Bible says, I mean, it's just amazing, amazing book. This is the, this is just wonderful. Oh, oh, there's so much here. Uh, uh, he is just getting everybody condemned. So from, from verse 17 of chapter 2 through verse 9 of chapter 3, he has fried the Jews. You too are guilty. The law of Moses condemns you. You haven't lived up to it. You too are guilty and condemned. That's where we all stand. And we'll, we'll learn the way out of this in time to come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. It is wonderful. Thank you, Lord, from your word, how it describes to us how wonderful you are, Lord. How wonderful is your word. Lord, I thank you that you have given us this treasure of the scriptures around which this universe operates. The universe operates around what is written in this word. Thank you, Lord. That's the treasure that you have graced us with. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, I pray that you'd give us a deep respect for the word of God and that we would make it our meditation every morning, that we won't go out of the house without spending time in meditation on this word. Father, I pray that you just take this and just just make it a part of our lives. Father, everyone is condemned, Jew and Gentile alike. Father, I pray for the unbelievers, that they would come to know Jesus Father, save somebody today, I pray. And Lord, may your word be built up in our hearts. Thank you for how how vivid and how frank your word is and how from your word we get words of life. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Thank you. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.